Hello, friends. Welcome to the long-awaited 89th episode of the Alabama Liberal Podcast. National response scenario number six, chemical attack, toxic industrial chemicals. So if you're one of that last fan that I have left, today is your day because this is the first episode I've had in about four months. Now, right off the bat, you're probably thinking, Alabama Liberal, what the hell? You don't call, you don't write, you don't visit, you don't tell us what's up. Had the podcast ended, just abruptly ended before you got to the end of it or whatever. This is a little bit like the Matrix or Dexter or the Sopranos and that you were gone forever and now you've come back with an installment that kind of looks confusing. We're not sure if we really understand what you're going for. We're not sure if it's justified to come back. I can understand the skepticism, friends. I truly can because with the Matrix Revolutions, that was the perfect ending. They really didn't need to come back. With the Sopranos, even though all these endings were polarizing, they were definitive endings. I love the way The Sopranos ended a lot more than I enjoyed the prequel movie. And so those all had endings definitive. The Alabama Liberal Podcast did not, though. So even though I took a long break, that doesn't necessarily mean that it was over with. I, although it would be very much like me to just abruptly quit and not finish the podcast and not get to the ending, I've often said that I would like to get to 100 episodes. I've just always kind of had that milestone in my head that 100 seems like a perfectly good number. You know, if you haven't gotten it out there by that point and enough people aren't listening by that point, I don't know if it's going to happen, but that just feels like a good milestone to get to. The title of this episode, even though it's a bit of a mouthful, basically what that refers to is there's several national response scenarios. These are disaster scenarios. A lot of people aren't familiar with this. They don't know what that means exactly, but number six is toxic industrial chemicals. I'm going to argue that we're already in that scenario. If you look at 3M and DuPont and the other chemical companies, Bayer, which now owns Monsanto, they've gone about systematically, I would say, poisoning the planet. 99.5% of Americans have forever chemicals in their bloodstream. But yet, if you tell people that, they don't know that. They kind of think that that's crazy or nutty or whatever. That's probably the least known huge issue that's out there. If you go all the way back to last year, and you remember I said I wanted to do a quintet of episodes about things that are almost never talked about, that seem to get swept under the rug, or that I've never talked about before, and so we did four of those episodes. This is the fifth and final one. Then in the next episode, 90, we're going to predict the following year ahead, 2022. But if you look at the amount of publicity and press that Forever Chemicals get versus covid you can see a very, very clear distinction. People say, COVID, it'll kill you. It's a virus. It's out there. It's going to take us over. And yet something that actually really is endangering most of the planet that really does affect everyone. Not everyone is going to get COVID. And even if they do, certainly the majority of people are not going to be that affected by it, especially if they're vaccinated as I am. And I hope you are too. But we hear people say, I can't get vaccinated because I'm worried about what I'm going to put in my body. And yet what's already in people's body these PFAs, PFOAs, and different various forever chemicals, we don't seem to hear a word about that. And people don't even seem to really know what's happening. I bet if I sit and tell you forever chemicals, the vast majority of people would be like, well, what does that even mean? I've never heard of that. So we're going to get into that and we're going to break it down. But first we have to look at their response to COVID. And I'm going to try to make this section move pretty quickly because I know if there's one thing an audience in 2022 is absolutely sick of hearing about, does not want to hear about, it's COVID. I mean, I think if I've sat here and talked about hemorrhoids, that might be more engaging than, than talking about COVID for any extended period of time. I know it's one of those things people just really are over and tired of, but I want to kind of do a little bit of a rewind. And this is also explaining why there's been such gaps between these episodes, why the schedule hasn't been consistent at all. For the first season of the podcast, which really did 
very well about being on a kind of a weekly basis. There would be a new episode and it would come out and then you could sort of anticipate that. That was all in about a year's time period. It was actually called a year-long conversation. Well, this podcast can't be called that the second season because it stretched out into really over two years because of all of 2020 and all of 2021. Now we're in 2022. In this second season, kind of the reason for that is because the first season had a very clear and distinctive villain and trajectory, and it was kind of fun. You know, Hillary was our hero. We were rooting for her, at least I was, and Michael was, and anybody listening to it probably was. Otherwise, I don't think they would have been listening for very long. If, but they also had a very clear villain. Ted Cruz was the red herring. It started out with Ted Cruz and Jeb Bush and these people who were kind of red herrings before we got to our main antagonist, Donald Trump, and he is straight out of central casting for a villain. I mean, corrupt, crazy, aspiring tyrant, ridiculously corrupt. Everything you could hope for in a villain, a great antagonist, truly, truly. If you had written the script where Hillary's the hero and Trump is the villain, people would have been like, oh, what a great performance by Trump as the heavy. Unfortunately, it was real life and he meant every word that he said and that was kind of horrifying, but that was the trajectory of the first season. The second season, it's kind of got several villains. You've got systematic racism and the that we see over George Floyd. You've got Trump, obviously a huge villain, but probably the sleeper attack is COVID, the one that nobody could see coming. Politically, the seasons have kind of gone how we sort of expected them to. With the second season, I very early stuck to the idea that Joe Biden was going to be the nominee and that he was going to beat Donald Trump. 54 or something like that. It was literally the second episode of the second season. Yeah, even though he got beat in Iowa and got beat in New Hampshire, he's going to be the nominee and he's going to beat Donald Trump. And that absolutely came true. I also said he would pick Kamala Harris as his vice president because she was just too perfect. She would have been a perfect VP for him. That's what he did. And then he beats Trump by several million votes. And then Trump refuses to leave, which I also said, there's no way in hell this guy who has refused to concede any loss ever is just going to say, he beat me fair and square and I'm out the door again. So everything politically that I might have been suspecting to happen is pretty much exactly what happened. And the only real wild card is this disease that nobody could have seen coming and exactly how much it's changed everybody's lives, not just the political landscape, the economic landscape, the quality of life landscape. People just don't do certain things that in 2019 they would have done and not thought twice about. Now they're very hesitant. They're scared. FDR once said, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Well, I don't hear that anymore. Now I hear be afraid, be very afraid all the time, constantly from the news media who are trying to scare the hell out of us into basically never leaving our houses again, right? Because COVID has dominated the second season so much, it kind of is depressing for me and also not very engaging. You know, when you have a first season with such great personalities, Bernie Sanders is a great personality, Hillary Clinton's a great personality, Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, Barack Obama was still in the White House. These are great characters. If you were doing Game of Thrones or writing a series like that, these are the kind of characters you would love to have created for yourself, right? So it's very personality-driven, as politics is a lot of times. But in the second season, COVID, how can you really make a political podcast out of that? It's not a personality. It has no real agenda. It kills everybody that it can kill. Really sort of this depressing season where you can't really put a political spin on it and you get tired of talking about the same things. Republicans have said the same things for years. Democrats have said the same things for years. And you kind of feel like nobody really knows what the hell they're talking about with this anymore because, again, it's an unpredictable disease. You can't really anticipate it. And so that can be very difficult to do a current events-based podcast where the current events are 
More people died today. Please stay home. Don't go anywhere. Wash your hands. Wear a face mask. Get vaccinated if you haven't already. It really becomes very repetitive. And it also smothers the rest of the news because not a lot else can really happen because people are talking about that all the time. It almost feels strange to talk about anything else. And yet, and it must be said, and I hate saying it, we're two years into, we haven't really shifted that much. In the very beginning of 2020, Republicans largely wanted to pretend it wasn't happening and ignore it and then let everything go to shit. And Democrats wanted to wildly overreact and shut everything down and basically inspire a generation of germaphobes to not handshake anybody or else, you know, they could die. And we haven't really budged from those two positions. We still have a huge chunk of the country that's not treating it seriously. They won't get vaccinated. They're talking about paying them to get vaccinated. I don't know what it would take to get somebody vaccinated at this point if they're not already. I don't know what they're waiting on. I mean, do you have to have like Megan the Stallion at one of the vaccination centers off? How could you even entice somebody to come and show up and do this thing that they should really do? It's their health. If you can't get somebody to take their own health seriously, I don't know how a third party can entice them. Like, I don't know how you can convince somebody. Like people that I know, some of my relatives, they refuse to get vaccinated. They won't do it. I'm sure people listening to this, if you live in Alabama, you've got people you know. They won't get vaccinated. They refuse to do it. Their stance is basically, you can't make me. And my feeling is always, why do we have to make, this is your health. This is your life. You could die. If you don't give a shit about your life, I guess I really don't either to an extent. You can't make somebody care about themselves. And I've always felt that way. That's why some of the time when I argue about guns or whatever, you know, two thirds of gun deaths are suicides. And people say, yeah, but if those guns weren't out there, those people wouldn't commit suicide. I don't know if you can save somebody's life. You can try to be nice to them. You can talk to them. You can understand them. You can have a deep conversation with them. Of course, people don't do any of that shit. They think, oh, we'll just keep ignoring them and take their guns away and problem over or whatever. They just find another way to kill themselves. If you're not fundamentally changing the way you treat people, and you just want to take away a method where they could kill themselves. I don't know that you can save people's lives that way. And so with COVID, it becomes the fact of if people who are grown adults, because kids are a little different, right? A lot of kids can't get vaccinated. My son, for a long time, he wasn't able to get vaccinated for about a year after adults could, age five to 11. They didn't have the vaccine. Now they do. But my daughter's still too young. She's younger than five. She still can't get vaccinated. So kids are very different. And, but yet we don't ever really hear about them, right? Like people will say something like, oh, well, uh, vaccinations, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, well, what about the kids who are too young to get vaccinated? People look at me like, well, who gives a shit about them? I'm like, they're the only people I care about. They're the only people I care about. The nation's youth is the future of the country. People used to say, think of the children. You don't really hear that anymore. You say that now, think of the children. Hey, fuck the kids. What about me? Says a 60 year old fat guy who's lived a full life and he just won't take care of himself and he won't get vaccinated. It's hard for me to care about those people. And so then we get into the liberal response. It's still kind of stuck in the place it was before the vaccines became available. They don't want anybody talking to a stranger without a face mask. They don't want people in big groups. They really want to shut everything down. Living in Los Angeles, I, this has been my life. I mean, like I talk to my, you know, people in Alabama, family, friends, people like that, and they don't live this way because they don't, this state just hasn't done any of the things that Los Angeles is doing. Let me just give you a couple of the greatest hits. We went on a vacation for the first time in forever. This was last fall. We took a plane, we went somewhere, and when we came back, my son's school told us he can't come to school because he has to self-quarantine for a week because he went on a plane. And so they wouldn't let him come back to school. He had to provide a negative COVID test, which he doesn't, he does COVID test twice a week. They test him for COVID. The Q-tip up his nose, which you have to wonder psychologically, 
What does that do for kids to tell them that this is normal, this is the reality? He sticks a Q-tip up his nose, it comes back negative. He still has to wear a face mask all the time. The results are always negative, but he still wears a face mask literally seven hours a day in class, almost all the time. Unless they're eating, he's wearing a face mask. And yet that still wasn't good enough. He had to self-quarantine for a week. We provided him with a negative COVID test result, and he still had to miss a full week of school because they said we had already missed a week of school. So he's essentially missed two weeks of school because that's the kind of overly cautious thinking that they're embracing. You go to a movie theater, when you show up, you have to provide your vaccine card and your driver's license. This isn't something the theaters are doing. This is something the city of Los Angeles has demanded that they do. So you show up and you have your vaccine card and you have your driver's license and you show it to somebody who's in their early 20s who's probably going to steal your identity because, you know, that's kind of a good way to get your identity stolen. There's sensitive medical information on that card. You got your full name and your birth date and your driver's license number on your ID. It's not that big a stretch to think that some bored guy who sniffs glue or whatever is working in a movie theater, he's going to write down that information and then go sell it to somebody. It's not that big a stretch to think that that could happen, but that's what you have to do. Then, and every theater is a little different, but the one that I like, they put a purple band around your wrist and you have to wear that purple band. Then you got to go upstairs and then you, you show it to the ticket person before you can even buy a ticket or before you can buy your concessions or whatever. You show it again to get into the theater. They still have reserved seating which is kind of unbelievable. Long-time fans know I hate reserved seating. And when you go to my YouTube channel, like the fourth or fifth most popular video is me ranting about reserved seating, which I'm so happy about because that means a lot of people hate this shit. If there was ever a time to get rid of reserved seating, would it not be in the middle of a pandemic? Would it not be you going into a theater and there's 10 people in the theater that can seat 200? The guy in the row right in front of you, he's coughing his head off. Would you not love to just be able to get up and move and go somewhere else? So if there was ever a fucking time to get rid of reserved seating, it would have to be in a pandemic when you think, I want to go in a theater, I want to pick out exactly where I want to sit, I don't want it to be near anybody else. But no, that's still there. <sighs> I go to a theater, I show my ID, I show my driver's license, I get a band put on my wrist, I walk up there, I have to show it to multiple people, then I sit in a theater where I have to wear a face mask the whole time, and I'm watching a comedy where I'm afraid to laugh because I don't want to cough and then have like spread germs to other people. What a whale of a time. What a fantastic time. Does that not sound like the most amazing time? Not since the Politburo of China met. Can you imagine such a fun, festive reverie of people getting together and enjoying themselves? I mean, it doesn't even sound like a good time. I mean, people do it because it's like there's something to do. Every 10 years, I try to get a, a colonoscopy and an endoscopy. Well, that was supposed to be 2020, and obviously that got pushed back because of the of COVID. And then 2021, they're like, ah, it's not a good time. It really, you need to push that back. The hospitals are full. So reschedule it for 2022, very, very early in the year, right? Almost the new year, 2022. And this has been pushed back about a year and a half. And so I go into the doctor's office. I'm going to have a colonoscopy and an endoscopy, but I have to go into the bathroom and I sneeze. I blow up my nose. This is the day of the procedure. I've already drank a solution. Anyone who's ever had to do this before, you know what I'm talking about. You drank the full solution. It really cleans you out. I don't want to get too graphic or whatever, but it's kind of an ordeal to get even toward the point where you're going to have the procedure. So it's the day of the procedure. The nurse hears me blowing my nose in the bathroom and he says, quick, I want you to take a rapid COVID test. Now keep in mind, I've already taken a COVID test just to show up for the procedure. Three days before I had to go to a parking lot in Los Angeles, stand in line for about an hour, get a swab up my nose. There was very shorthanded. So they just hand you a swab and then you have to follow the instructions on the kit, do it yourself, put it away and then put it in the bag. I've already done this and it's come back negative, but he wants me to do it again. So they give me a rapid COVID test. It again comes back negative. 
But the doctor comes and she's like, okay, do you feel like you have COVID? And I'm like, no, I sure don't. And she's like, oh, why are you blowing your nose? And why are you coughing? I go, it's probably just allergies. And she's like, well, given what's going on right now with Omicron variant, we can't possibly proceed with this procedure because you're going to be unconscious and we're going to have cameras up your throat. And then we could all get sick from that or whatever. And I said, but I just took two COVID tests and they both came back negative. Yeah, but there's a lot of false negatives out there. So this is a medical professional who I know has got to be vaccinated and boosted and who's going to keep her mask on probably the entire time for this procedure. She's acting like she's afraid to touch me. Even though I'm vaccinated, she's vaccinated. I've just had two negative COVID tests. I've drunk the solution. I've crapped my guts out. I'm ready to go. I don't really want to have to do this a second time, but she's refusing to proceed because she says we just never know who could really have it or whatever. Now, you could imagine where this is kind of a pain in the butt. You've cleared the day away. You've driven across town. It hasn't been a pleasant thing. And so to have that kind of abundance of caution to where this is a young, thin, in-shape woman, vaccinated, boosted, I'm vaccinated. We're both, I'm wearing a mask. She's wearing a mask. I'll take my mask off, but I've still got two negative COVID tests and a full vaccine going on. You wouldn't think somebody like this would be that afraid. That just shows you the level of overcaution that Los Angeles has really embraced. So now the procedure has been rescheduled for a third time. Procedure that should have taken place over two years ago is now, I don't know when it'll take place. And so you have to look at this and say, medically, is this safe for people to be in that position where they're constantly having surgeries and procedures and checkups pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. And people say, well, you're being insensitive. This is a pandemic. Pandemics go on for a few months, maybe a year. They don't last for multiple years at a time where people have not found a way to work around them. And this feels more like a new normal that I'm not going to embrace. And then you got to do one or the other. It's either a pandemic, which would mean a state of emergency, which is hard to stay in a state of emergency for two full years with no real end in the horizon, or it's a new normal, in which case you can't blame everything on COVID. You can't say we want to cancel this procedure and we want to keep kids at home from school and we don't want you to be able to go to a movie theater and we don't want you to do this and that. You can't, you can't say that anymore because it's a new normal. Yeah, there's a few hundred people a day, sometimes a few thousand people a day dying from COVID. Almost 100% of those people are not vaccinated. And so you have to begin to say, at what point is it enough? And it really is beginning to remind me of 9-11. Now, some of you that are old enough to have been adults when 9-11 happened, I was in high school, but I can remember 9-11 happens, huge, shocking, terrible event, and then everything fucking goes crazy. And we wildly overreacted to 9-11. Measures that were supposed to be temporary became permanent. Sure, it was tragic. Sure, it was horrific. It was terrible. Biggest the terrorist attack in American history. But look at what we responded to it with. Right off the bat, the airlines were like, okay, can't have shampoo and toothpaste and all this other stuff. I mean, automatically dozens of things you could bring on an airplane were now banned. Not just things that might've made sense like box cutters and sharp objects, of course, scissors, you're not gonna be able to bring up. Toothpaste, shampoo, soap that were bigger than a certain size, like mouthwash, okay? All that stuff was gone. A water bottle, you could bring a water bottle in with you through security and they make you throw it away. You could buy water right outside the gate of the plane, but you couldn't bring your own water bottle through. You had to start taking off your shoes. You take off your shoes, you put them on the detector, then it would go through. I must have the world's most dangerous Nikes because every time I go through, they scan it through multiple times. I'm standing out there for five minutes. She must think these are some really fucking dangerous Nikes. Now that they can do a full bone density scanner, which they do, they can now scan your full body. I mean, they could probably tell you if you have mumps. They could probably do my colonoscopy for me. You know, I just go through the uh, scanner at the airport. They scan my systems and tell me what's wrong. But literally, 
They make you take your shoes off separate from that. So you would think the full bone density scanner would be enough to detect your shoes. You take those off, you put them through separately from that into a different scanner. Who's making these Adidas's that they are so dangerous they need a separate scanner from the one that's literally checking your cavities because that's how high density it is. So these are things that were supposed to be temporary and they've become permanent. It's 20 years later and I don't think we will ever go back to the way that flying was or anything like that. Then you have other things that were tertiary to that. Bush immediately wants to invade Afghanistan. Invade Afghanistan... Bin Laden's trapped in the mountains of Tora Bora. He decides to let his Mahajideen buddies go up there and chase him. I truly don't believe Bush actually wanted to catch Bin Laden. I don't think that was ever the priority. Let's him escape through Pakistan. Pretty obvious he'd be in Pakistan. Only one way he could go from there. Then refuses to look for him in Pakistan. But what we do do is bring a thousand troops and trillions of dollars and put them in Afghanistan. And we spend 20 years there in America's longest war. The longest war goes on. Then he begins a second war, the Iraq War, which is still one of the top five dumbest foreign policy blunders in American history. Spend trillions of dollars, thousands of American lives there. And then we start doing things domestically. The Patriot Act, rendition, black sites, waterboarding, Gitmo, Guantanamo, all these scandals. And then the creation of a brand new federal agency, which Republicans swore they would never do. They always said there's too much federal government, too much oversight. We don't like any of this. Doesn't stop them from creating Homeland Security, the Department of Homeland Security. As far as I can tell, this is a department that was created in an emergency and has been permanent and still has no real reason to exist. What does the Department of Homeland Security really do? Oh, well, you know, they safeguard the borders. Well, the Border Patrol does that. Yeah, but they also check out the coast. Well, the Coast Guard does that. Yeah, but they check out suspicious things coming into the country. Well, U.S. and Customs Enforcement does that. Yeah, but they also protect you from natural disasters and biological terrorist attacks and things like that. Okay, FEMA does that. FEMA literally created the national response scenarios that we're going to get into in a minute. Yeah, but they also check out the airports, make sure they're safe. Okay, yeah, but the TSA agents, they do that. As I just said, you go through a high bone density scanner, you put your shoes through, all these restrictions. Yeah, but they also do counter espionage and domestic terrorists. That well, the FBI does that. The FBI people think of as just that quirky bunch of rogues that check out serial killers and bank robbers. But their real and primary function is, you know, checking for spies and terrorists. They look for domestic terrorists or foreign terrorists that have come into the country or spies or whatever, and that's their real job. They do it a lot better than Homeland Security does. A lot of people believe if the CIA had given the FBI more intelligence. They could have prevented 9-11, so it was a matter of that. Well, yeah, but that's just our point. See, Homeland Security, they coordinate the efforts of these various agencies. Yeah, but the Pentagon does that. That's why one of the planes went into the Pentagon, because they wanted to disrupt that and make it harder to follow up. Yeah, but they would have all these people come together. and all. No, that's called the National Security Council. National Security Council, of which the head of Homeland Security is just one member, not the whole thing. They meet, and they have like the head of the CIA, the FBI, the Homeland Security, so on. They meet together, and they talk. Yeah, but this is uh, going to be coordinated to the president. No, the National Security Advisor does that. The National Security Advisor takes their information and then briefs the White House on the, hey, whose side are you on, Alabama liberal? Are you for the terrorists or what? So you're running through all of these different scenarios where every single thing the Department of Homeland Security was doing, a different government agency used to do it and probably used to do it better. When they say things like, oh, it was just it was just too cumbersome and now the Homeland Security Department, they're doing a better job. When Trump was president and he put Kellyanne Conway's sister or whoever that woman was, that Krista Nelson in charge of Homeland Security and then she lost all those kids, that didn't look very well organized to me. So this idea that like, oh, the other agencies, they were too cumbersome, too bureaucratic, Homeland Security cuts through all that. When the kids were in cages and their parents were deported and they separated the families at the border and they couldn't find 
find out and they said, oh, we don't even know who this kid belongs to and I, maybe we let those people go. That didn't look very well coordinated. Also, Homeland Security took over several key crucial aspects that you might have noticed didn't work very well during COVID. The Department of Health and Human Services, they used to stockpile medical equipment in case of emergencies. Homeland Security took that over. In 2020, you might have noticed we didn't have enough tests, we didn't have enough masks, we didn't have shit that we needed. So once again, a huge government agency that was created under George W. Bush, temporary solution to an emergency scenario has become a permanent albatross around our neck and what was meant to stop the bureaucracy has just added an extra layer to it where it's even harder to tell what the fuck people are supposed to be doing and who's responsible for what. I'm very concerned that with the response to 9-11, which was a disaster. 9-11 was a disaster and a tragedy, but the response might have been even worse. Two wars we didn't need to fight, trillions of dollars down the drain. We might as well have taken that money and set it on fire for all the good it did us in Iraq and Afghanistan. Thousands of American soldiers dead or maimed. Think about all the soldiers that come back. They don't have an arm. They don't have a leg. They're missing an eye. They're maimed. And then psychological damage. It's estimated 20 to 30 veterans a day kill themselves. This is a huge number of suicides that have come back. People with PTSD, emotional problems. The psychological cost of those wars can't even be factored before you get to the damage it does to America's reputation abroad. America was always the shiny beacon on the hill, as Joe Biden sometimes calls it. The world looks to us as the leader of the free world. It's hard to argue that when you look at pictures from Gitmo and Guantanamo Bay, pyramid of bodies that the guards have stacked on top of each other, all this stuff come out about waterboarding and rendition and black sites and torture. If Dick Cheney and George W. Bush had been anyone other than the president and the vice president of America, they probably would have been brought up on war crimes. For the way that they lied, had Colin Powell go to the United Nations and lie to get the war going, the way they lied about the weapons of mass destruction, the way they leaked Valerie Plame, trying to get her in trouble or killed or whatever, various different things that they did. If that had been the president and vice president of the Congo, they probably would have been brought up on war crimes. The way that the country responded to a crisis was permanent and long-lasting and damaging, and we're still doing the majority of it. We've had two Democratic presidents between now and then. Neither one of them seems in a hurry to rein in the excesses of TSA, where they want to give you a damn rectal search when you go through a damn airport. I particularly get a fucking cavity search. None of them want to necessarily get rid of some of the domestic surveillance and spying. Every text message, every call, all that data went somewhere and people could listen to it. And nobody has even begun to mention possibly getting rid of the Department of Homeland Security. Again, every single function they do was better served under a different agency. They also monitor some cybersecurity stuff. Well, the NSA could do that 10 times better. They have more tech geeks and labs and equipment. And so now we're in that part of COVID. I just want to lay the groundwork. 2019, I really feel for me, was a wasted year. The first half of the year I spent dealing with that basket of snakes up at that Campbell Hall School, which those of the listeners podcast know what I'm talking about. So I'm constantly being harassed by these people trying to get my son out of hot water that he really should have never been in, but they just kept pushing it and pushing it. So the first half of the year is wasted with them. The second half of the year is wasted trying to find a lawyer or a government agency or a reporter that will lift a finger to help me deal with these clowns. Really, 2018 was wasted because the first half of 2018, we had to spend getting into that school that would eventually torture us and be a, 
a wasted path. And then the second half, trying to please a teacher who was never going to be pleased because she hated us. So in various extents, 2018 and 2019 were not very productive years. So 2020 comes along and I'm like, okay, this is it. This is it, Alabama liberal. And when I refer to myself in the third person, I use Alabama liberal, not my real name. But this is it, Alabama liberal. This is the year that's going to be it. We're going to light it on fire. This is going to be great. It's time to get back to work, time to do everything, travel more, spend more time, go outside, be more social, all that great stuff. Six weeks into it, COVID happens. Shuts down the globe, shuts down the planet. Nobody can work. Nobody can go to school. Nobody can go anywhere. Everybody's afraid to go to Trader Joe's without three face masks on because they could die. I mean, and at that point, that was a reasonable fear. 2020 is comes and goes and is wasted. It's the year that begins with a pandemic and ends with a president who refuses to leave office. 2021 comes along and it's like, okay, Joe Biden has won the White House. Trump won't admit it, but he's got to go. doesn't matter what he wants to do. 2021 is going to be better. I can feel it. Six days into 2021, the Capitol is ransacked and an act of terrorism to me is more frightening than 9-11. 9-11 is frightening. But at least that's a clear, these people are our enemies, they're overseas, they want to hurt America, and it unites the country to an extent. You had people in rural Alabama being like, I'm going to whoop me some ass. You know, they were ready to fucking kill people that did this to New York. Not because they like New York, but because it was just the idea of somebody coming into American soul and doing this or whatever. So you even had people in Alabama thinking like, oh, are we the next target? You know, the Abertville-Boaz game, is that going to be like high school football games would have been a juicy target for Al-Qaeda. So they're paranoid, everybody's fears up, but it's a collective fear. It's a way that kind of begins to bring the country together in a way that they really weren't. Because if you remember 2000, the Bush versus Gore election, that was a very divisive moment for the country. Bush basically steals the election from Al Gore. And so the Florida 2000 debacle and all that's around that, he enters his presidency with the country very divided. In a strange way, 9-11 united the country and Bush got everything he wanted for several years and it was always a disaster. But I feel that the Capitol insurrection is even scarier because you have this big thing happen and several people who literally could have been killed are refusing to admit that it kind of happened the way that Democrats know that it happened, the way reality knows that it happened, which is Trump asked a mob to go in there and murder his own vice president to stop him from certifying these election results. That was his last bit and last gambit, his last resort, and yet it didn't work. But you would think that some of the people in that building Mitch McConnell could have been killed. Mike Pence could have been killed. Several of the Republicans who now talk about Trump and how they can't wait to vote for him again, they could have easily been killed. They're kind of going back and rewriting history and be like, it wasn't that bad. Maybe it was exaggerated. We don't know if Trump did it. Let's talk about something else. Hey, Biden, why hasn't he been better about Afghanistan? Talking about a lot of irrelevant shit, trying to throw anything at the wall to hurt Biden. The media's dumb enough to run most of that crap. And the biggest mystery of... How can a country be attacked in their capital, their Congress almost decapitated, their vice president almost murdered, and then a year later, people kind of act like it never happened, and they just sort of want to go back to the program. This is a more disturbing event than 9-11, because the president of the United States wanted to become a tyrant, and he wanted to steal an election, and he had people helping him in Congress who easily could have been killed, and they just acting like that's not happening, and now they're blocking a congressional investigation into it. In the way 9-11 kind of united the country. This hasn't united the country at all. It's divided it further than ever because it's not a foreign enemy. It's a domestic enemy. And of course, that's what China and Russia really want us to do is to turn on each other. That's the only way they can beat us. I've laid that out in previous podcast episodes. Militarily, they could not defeat us if they wanted to. But if they could create a civil war where the country collapses on itself, I know on my YouTube channel, 
the most unpopular video I've ever posted. It was this podcast, because I do the podcast as YouTube videos as well. Episode 75 was called, Are We Headed for a Civil War? And immediately into the podcast, I say, no, we're not. And then in the description, I also listed that. On the YouTube channel, it's got like one thumb up and like 12 thumbs down. No other video is that unpopular. And you look at that and think, that's Russian and Chinese bots. Those are foreign agents who troll YouTube. They always find my videos. I swear, half my subscribers, I only got like 200 subscribers, but I bet half of them are foreign agents. Seriously, swear to God. Because every video that comes out like that is like, we're not headed for civil war. The country can come back together. We've always been divided, but we've always gotten over it. Immediately downvoted. Immediately. But I bet you if I'd said that same podcast that we headed for civil war, it's inevitable. The country's going to break up. We're not ever going to be the same again. The, the America's glory days are over. I would have had a hundred likes and one thumbs down because that's just how they operate. They want us to be divided. They want to play us off of each other. It's really difficult to even be on Twitter these days because it just feels like people have infiltrated it so badly. They only talk about two things, COVID and Trump. Is Trump going to jail? When's he going to go to jail? Why is he not already in jail? What's Merrick Garland waiting on? Merrick Garland's such a bad choice. Why hasn't Joe Biden fired Merrick Garland yet? Forgetting, of course, a huge red flag for Trump was because he fired Jeff Sessions immediately into his term. Only a couple years into his term, he fired Jeff Sessions the second he could fire him. Joe Biden's not going to fire Merrick Garland because that would essentially be the same thing. I believe he should have never picked him in the first place, that he should have picked Doug Jones and somebody that was a little more politically aligned with Biden, but he wanted to pick somebody that wasn't really a Democrat. Merrick Garland's an independent. He's not really a Democrat. He wanted to make it look like the Justice Department was completely apolitical. That's how it used to be done, and they wanted it to kind of go back to that, and they really wanted somebody that was unimpeachable in terms of like, if they did move on Trump, it couldn't be said to be just a, a partisan thing. It had to really be methodical. But we keep going down this path. We did it with Robert Mueller. We did it with James Comey. And we keep kind of hoping that a centrist Republican or an independent will save us and they'll be the one to defeat Trump. They're not going to be. That's never going to happen. They're too scared of him. They're too afraid of looking partisan. And what you need is somebody who's just fucking like Barney Frank or somebody like that. Who's just like, yeah, I'm partisan. I'm a lifelong Democrat and you're a fucking criminal. You belong in jail. And I'm not afraid to say that. That's where you belong. That's where you should be. You have to find somebody who's just like that. I don't give a shit. You belong in jail and I'm not going to let you slide just because you call CNN and say, oh, it's a witch hunt and they're after me and the liberals, they're conspiring against me. They're going to say that anyway. And instead, we keep turning to these centrist Republicans and that's all Trump did was talk about Mueller like a dog and he fired James Comey and none of that made any difference. Those were all Republican people. He still fired them and he still cursed them out and he still talked about they were all against him. It doesn't make a difference and it's not going to. So get somebody who's not afraid of him and can really stand up to him. But on Twitter, Trump going to jail, the fantasy. And then you have COVID and people just fighting about COVID. And it's the same basic points over and over again. How come somebody's not wearing a face mask at Costco? How come this person's not doing this and that? How come they're not as good as I am? I'm a good person. Why are they not a good person? Why won't they do this and that? I wonder if it's really people saying that, like, I wonder if people really believe some of the stuff that they're saying, or if it's just foreign agents who they know COVID's a hot button issue. They know it's become political. They know it's deeply personal. Some people are refusing to get vaccinated. And the majority of the country that is vaccinated or is becoming vaccinated, they're very mad at these people who are kind of keeping COVID in the system. And it's like, hey, what if the virus mutates beyond our capability into where a vaccine can contain it? These people are putting our lives at risk. And so they can see that this is a very clear way to divide the country because people are already kind of like, hey, this isn't just your personal safety. My life is at risk. And yet this brings us to basically the main topic, which is why do we hear about COVID all the time, nonstop for two straight years? 
there's a vaccine. Less than 2% of people who get COVID that are not vaccinated will die from it. For people that are vaccinated, it's not anywhere near 1%. I'm more mad than most people should be because they put my kids at risk. For a long time, my son, as I said, couldn't get vaccinated. My daughter still can't. I'm more mad at that. So in a way, I should be more mad at these people than anybody. I have relatives who refuse to get vaccinated. So hypothetically, you could say in a roundabout way around the universe, they're putting my kids' lives at risk. But, you know, that's just the way that people are. Yet at the same time, 99.7% of Americans have forever chemicals in their bloodstream because a few dozen greedy-ass chemical companies like DuPont and 3M have decided to put this chemical on things. It gets in the air, it gets in the water, it gets in your bloodstream, sometimes just synthetic clothing. When you wear clothing, like different types of synthetic fabrics, they're coated in this. Then you sweat and it gets into your bloodstream. Certain foods, certain waters, sometimes just breathing. Whether you live near a Teflon plant or not, you can still get it into your system. And yet I hear virtually nothing about this from the media. Other than climate crisis, there's no bigger issue than forever chemicals permanently altering the DNA of people. And it's found in damn near everybody. If you're listening to this podcast, it's in your bloodstream. For some people, it's in such small amounts. It will probably never do any real damage. But for the majority of people, it could cause ulcerative colitis various types of cancers, various types of diseases. It's one of those things where it's such a huge problem, it's almost like people don't want to think about it. Because I remember one time they were interviewing Erin Brockovich, and they asked her, they're like, there's over 400 types of forever chemicals. They're everywhere. They're in fabric, because like the fabric of your couch, when you lay down on your couch without clothes or you're sweating or whatever, it's going to get in your bloodstream. It's on fabrics for your, your clothes. Your microwave popcorn, when you put a bag of microwave popcorn in your microwave, really think about it. What keeps that bag from bursting into flames? Logically, this is something that really shouldn't exist or it's a paper bag put in a microwave. So you think, well, what keeps that from just bursting into flames? Well, it's coated in sort of a flame retardant thing to make it less. And then the butter from the popcorn, the grease from that mixes with the chemical that keeps the bag from being flammable. That gets all over the popcorn. Literally hundreds of ways. Sometimes aluminum Coke cans, certain chemicals leach from the soda from the can into something. But they asked her, they're like, with, with all these chemicals out there and no real effort at all to change this, why? Why don't people care? Why is it? And I think she basically was saying it's such a large problem and it's so scary that it's kind of easier to just pretend that it's not happening. It's a little bit like climate crisis to where, yeah, everybody is going to die if they don't figure this out. And when you tell people that, they kind of blink twice and they say, do you see this about the Kyle Rittenhouse shooter? You know, our media loves anecdotal problems. They like things like a vigilante goes from Illinois to Wisconsin and he shot people. He's a murderer. He's a killer. But at the same time, how is him killing two people in a state I don't live in? Is that really national news? Not really. Should he really have been the focus for about two weeks? And then the trial verdict comes out and Van Jones gets to huff and puff and Joy Reid. Does any of this really make any difference? Not really. But things like that are very anecdotal. We like a video of a police shooting. It's one isolated case. And then everybody can have an opinion about it and people can get off on the outrage of that or whatever. But you tell people 99% of us have permanent health problems from forever chemicals that have leached into everything from food to clothing to furniture. That seems so massive that people are almost terrified to even begin to confront it. And they have it. Teflon, we know, is a toxic chemical and cancerous. DuPont and 3M have vowed to do better. They have it. If you have Teflon pots, throw them away. 
I mean, that's just basically the long and short of it. But you scrape them. People say, oh, they're safe as long as you don't scrape them. You scrape pots. You shit gets stuck to your pots. When you have to brush the pot hard or you have to scrape the pot to get something off of it, you're going to get the Teflon coating into your food or into your utensils. It's going to get out. Throw them away. People who work at these factories and live in the towns around these factories, uh, unbelievable health problems. Tumors, cancer, children born with one eye. I mean, different birth defects. They said the women that worked on the DuPont line when Teflon was first coming out, about half of them had children with visible birth defects when they were born, let alone after they're born because, you know, you don't see it a lot of times, but then they had lifelong health problems. People who have asthma, problems with their blood, they have to get blood transfusions all the time, different various things. And that's people who were right there in the factories and in the towns around the factories. If you've ever seen that great movie, Dark Waters, I recommend it. It's got Mark Ruffalo. I believe it's on Showtime anytime if you want to check that out. But Mark Ruffalo plays a lawyer who eventually comes to have to sue DuPont because of the way they did it. But the way they first kind of discovered the chemical's toxicity, there's a local farmer who takes him to a pasture and he shows him all of his cows. He's got like 100 cows and they're all just dead because they drank the groundswell water. This pollutes farmland. It gets into crops. It gets into meat. Cows drink drainage runoff from a DuPont plant or whatever, and then that's in the meat, and then we're eating it that way. That's how much it gets out and spreads. And yet, other than the movie Dark Waters... And then John Oliver, he did a special last year, and I have to give him credit. I really wanted to do this episode last year, but when I saw John Oliver had did something very similar, and he did it in such a detailed way, it was almost like, what could I really contribute to that? It kind of scared me off for doing it for a few months, to be honest. But he did an episode about PFAs last year. I'm saying for every chemicals, which is a way bigger class than what he's talking about. He focused just on PFAs and PFOAs, but I'm talking about for every chemicals, which is a lot more than that. But other than one episode of John Oliver and the occasional news story on Yahoo and the movie Dark Waters, I see virtually nothing about this. When you even try to talk to people about it, they look at you like you're some nut. You're Shailene Woodley or something talking about crystals and Reiki bracelets or whatever. Just try to do that. Be like, hey, did you know that there's chemicals in our food, our drinking water, our air, and 99.7% of people have their DNA permanently altered because of forever chemicals? They'll look at you like you're Shailene Woodley trying to sell them some crystals on, on QVC or something like that. Like they, You would think you were like the wildest hippie nut freak. Hey, check out this book, The Secret. It'll change your life. You know, like you're talking about something really airy-fairy and inaccessible. They kind of act like you're making it up. And I think that's because it is such a big problem. COVID, by contrast is a relatively small problem. And people hear me say that and say, Alabama liberal, how in the hell can you say something so stupid? That is the dumbest thing. And that's something else about COVID. Anytime somebody even begins to be a little bit doubtful or skeptical, they immediately die from COVID. I'm not kidding. You'll see a radio host who's like, COVID, it's not that big a deal. And then a week later, he's dead from COVID. I don't want to do that because it's almost, instead of COVID-19, COVID irony. COVID has a wicked sense of irony, okay? You almost don't want to mess with it. It's really becoming Darwin's disease at this point. In Alabama, they had a couple that were YouTubers and they were talking about, don't get the vaccine, it's not that good. A week later, they were both dead from COVID. And so that happens over and over again. Meatloaf will be like, I don't want to wear a mask the rest of my life. And then a week later, he's dead. So they're like, oh, you don't got to worry about it. The rest of your life is over, you know? So you almost are like afraid to say anything about it because again, it has such a wicked sense of irony. I'm kind of in between that level. I'm wondering why we're still wearing masks for the rest of our lives if the vaccine works for a year. Get the vaccine, get the vaccine. You got to wait till we get the vaccine. Okay, I got the vaccine. Okay, keep wearing a mask forever anyway. But why? You said once they got the vaccine, it was fine. Yeah, yeah, but you got to wait till you get the booster. You got to get the booster. The booster is going to solve everything. You got to get the booster. Okay. I got the booster. Yeah, but there's the Delta variant, though. 
Okay, so you keep wearing that mask. Well, the Delta variant came and went. wasn't that big of a deal. wasn't as bad as they made it sound like it was going to be. They made it sound like it was going to jump over the vaccine and not be effective. Okay, Delta variant was... There's the Omicron variant. The Omicron variant's out there. So you got to keep wearing the mask and you got to get the vaccine and you got to get the booster. Wait a minute. You just said the booster wasn't that effective against Omicron. Yeah, but you got to get that. Okay, but... If the vaccine is not that effective against Omicron, what good is the booster going to do? Yeah, get the booster. That's what I'm telling you. You know, everything is really clear as mud. It's clear as mud. You're almost afraid to say anything, though. You're torn between two extremes. Kind of conservative opinion, which is basically we're all going to have to go back to our lives sooner or later. There's no way around this. We will have to go back to our lives because it's only killing half a percent of the people that are vaccinated. And it's just not worth it to keep things permanently altered forever that way. And then they say that, and then a week later, they're dead. And then the liberal position of, like, I remember when Meatloaf died, everybody was like, oh, yeah, look at that dumbass. He was skeptical about COVID, and then a week later, he died from COVID. That's why I don't do anything. That's why I stay home for the rest of my life. I don't want to be around people. There's more than one way to die, and I think that's one thing we're not discussing. In 2020, 600,000 people were dead from COVID. Okay, that was roughly the total. It might have been a little bit more than that. We don't really sure. But roughly 600,000 people were dead from COVID. The following year, it was about 250,000. It's been cut less than in half. If that would track this year, if it gets cut in half again, it'll be about 125,000 for 2022. At that point, you're talking about the flu. That's basically the number of people that the flu kills. And then you look at the other deaths, though, from the response to COVID. The shutdowns, the social distancing, the quarantining, the isolation that people feel. Deaths of despair were way up. When people say deaths of despair, that could be an opioid overdose, drinking too much, binge drinking, alcohol poisoning, smoking way too much, and then like the stroke and heart attacks that come with that, drunk driving, other kinds of drug overdoses, because it's not just opioids that kill people. Suicides, of course, probably inevitable. Just general sedentary illness where somebody's laying on their couch and they're eating fast food seven days a week. They're on the pizza and Chinese food diet. We'll get Chinese food tonight, pizza the next night, Chinese food, pizza, Chinese food, pizza. And then they barely move, barely get any exercise. They're not around people. They're not out. They're not being social. That's increased risk of cancer, heart disease, heart attack, you know. Stroke, heart disease, heart attack, and cancer, and diabetes-related complications, they kill way more people than the flu or COVID ever thought about, and they do it every single year. And so when you begin to talk about de-chemicalizing America, it's amazing to me the people who are afraid to get the vaccine and they'll say something like, oh, I don't know what's in it. And I'm not the first person to say that, but the same people have been like, I don't know what's in it. They eat McDonald's. McDonald's hamburgers have pink slime, fructose, sucrose, dextrose, lucrose. I mean, you know, all of these chemicals. You look at the chemical ingredients of a McDonald's hamburger, it's basically a meth lab. Crystal meth and a McDonald's hamburger chemically are about the same. And you run through this list of all this stuff people eat that's bad for them. They have no idea what's in these chicken nuggets or whatever else. That vaccine, that's going to, uh, there's just a tracker in that. People are going to put a tracker in that and that, shoot in my arm, and then Bill Gates is going to know my every whereabout. Or even worse, George Soros. Number one, I'm not sure that anybody cares how many times Billy Bob goes to the Dollar General store or whatever they're doing. I mean, people who say that shit in Alabama, it's almost like they're doing something criminal, even though they're not. They're not doing anything the federal government would be remotely interested in, but they kind of act like they are. I don't know. It's a very strange phenomenon. But also, too, they say that about being tracked. What do they got in their pocket? A smartphone. A smartphone is a literal GPS device. 
They can literally follow your movements with a smartphone. How many times do you see, oh, this person, they got arrested for murder and they found it out because the calls matched a certain tower and then there was a ping and they could follow the GPS locator on their smartphone all the way from their house to the crime scene. And they stopped off to get a beer, maybe some McDonald's, even though they didn't know what was in it. They were hoping the pink slime would kill them. It's literally ridiculous to have somebody say that the reason they won't get it is because they don't want to be followed when they got a damn smartphone in their pocket. GPS device that can tell them and 50 apps on that smartphone that can tell kitty cat prowler or whatever stupid fucking game app where you've been. I mean, that follows your location and reports it back to the Chinese conglomerate that actually owns that company. They're sitting like, man, this guy sure does go to Dollar General a lot. Man, Billy Bob, he sure likes his McDonald's, you know? So then the Politburo can look at that. So it's crazy to me what people think of as a conspiracy and then a conspiracy right in front of their face that they won't see. You'll have Trump supporters that believe in QAnon and Pizzagate and all these wild, elaborate things. Then you'll see Trump on national television telling his followers, go into that Capitol and stop that recount. No, no, he didn't say that. He didn't do that. It's right in front of their face, but they don't believe that. Anything right out in the open, they won't believe it and they won't follow it. George Zoros is putting microtransmitters into a vaccine so that he can follow your every whereabouts. Oh yeah, that makes sense. China, where the smartphones that you use are made, they put a back door into that phone so that they can have access to your whereabouts or whatever. I would think is much, much, much more likely, but people don't want to believe that. Then you go to the COVID vaccine and you say something like, okay, well, the vaccine is going to save your life. I don't know what's in that. There's chemicals in that. Then you look at their actual lifestyle. They smoke cigarettes. 25% of America still smokes. This kills hundreds of thousands of people every single year in the United States alone. They still smoke cigarettes. United States uses too many drugs. We're the largest illegal narcotics market in the world. We're the largest legal narcotics market in the world. Most American adults are on some type of medicine. It kind of makes me sick to watch TV and the first five commercials are Papa John's, Domino's, Reese's, McDonald's, Burger King, and then the sixth commercial is Ask your doctor about this new diabetes drug. So you get commercials for beer, fast food, junk food, candy, and then the fifth commercial, ask your doctor about a new type of diabetes drug to help you manage the first four commercials that we saw. I think the food commercials ought to be banned and then you don't need the fifth commercial for the diabetes drugs. So it's amazing we sell people these unhealthy products. I'm not uh, talking from it from a snobby perspective. I've dealt with my weight my entire life. That's my thing is to be overweight. But you turn on the TV, when's the last time you saw a lettuce commercial? Never. When's the last time you saw an asparagus commercial? Never. So you turn on the TV and it's all bright colors targeted right at my son and my daughter. You know, like Reese's uses orange and there's all these close cuts of candy falling from the sky and then Skittles and all this shit right at them. Loud music, colorful music, animated characters, quick jump cuts that look like they're going to give you epilepsy. It almost looks like Japanese anime. They're cutting back and forth between so many food. You're programming people from a very young age, buy this crap, buy this junk, eat only this shit. And then we got a pill for that. When I say the majority of Americans are on some kind of medicine, think about everybody who uses medicine for depression, social anxiety, anti-anxiety meds, diabetes medications, allergy medicines, pills to make you go to sleep, pills to keep you up, pills to keep you sideways, you know, pills to get your penis hard, pills to make your mind soft, antipsychotics, you know, people that are schizophrenic or bipolar or manic depressive, whatever. So pills to change your cholesterol, pills to change your blood pressure, Pills to keep your penis up and your blood pressure low. Pills for ADD, pills for ADHD, different medications like Adderall, human growth hormones. Some people take steroids. I mean, very few American adults are not on something. And it could be cigarettes, it could be alcohol, it could be various prescription medications, it could be illegal drugs, it could be 
In my case, food, which is very not healthy. I know if I keep up this diet, there will come a time when I'm in the pharmaceutical industrial complex in terms of like, you have to take this life-saving drug. But you look at that and you think, this is a huge market. And maybe that's why we don't see any real push towards permanently changing people's lifestyles. Maybe they know like, hey, if 3M and DuPont and Monsanto, if they poison the entire planet, they know that forever chemicals have an increased uptick in things like ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, various depressions, various mood disorders. Pharmaceuticals know, hey, we got pills for that. So it doesn't matter that 99.5% of people can barely function normally. We'll just write them some prescriptions. And where the title comes from, national response scenarios are different scenarios that FEMA came up with. The first one is a nuclear bomb attack. So these are like disasters that could severely disrupt America. Some are biological attacks. Number 13 is a contaminated food supply. I would argue that we're living in that reality where there's a contaminated food supply. Almost no food that Americans can buy in grocery stores is actually good for them. We are living in scenario 13. 15 is a cyber attack. Well, we've seen a lot of cyber attacks. But number six is a chemical attack, specifically toxic industrial chemicals. I would say that we're already living that reality. And that scares me. It should scare you. And, and I'll be brave enough to say it should scare you a lot more than COVID does. The only thing we can fear is fear itself. So if you're vaccinated, you're relatively healthy, you're in relatively good shape, you don't have a lot of pre-existing conditions, I feel that your odds of dying from COVID, even if you get it, even if you never wear a face mask for the rest of your life, which in a state like California is not an option, but even if that happens, I feel like your chances of dying are severely less from that than if your drinking water is toxic. Your food supply is pumping shit into your body every day that doesn't need to be there. So is it worth investing in to dechemicalize America? Absolutely. Have we seen any effort from any politician willing enough to say that? No. Some uh, commentators be like, how come we never tell America to slim down? Well, 75% of the United States is overweight. And so Joe Biden does not want to piss off that demographic. His poll numbers will sink even lower. You have it to where it's too extreme. You have people like Chris Christie who are fat and they almost look like hypocrites if they tell people to eat better, which they never do because he doesn't eat right. So why would he tell people to eat right? Then you have people like Joe Biden who are a little slender, especially for his age. And I think they're kind of afraid of coming off as snobby because they know Fox News will immediately interpret that as being like, oh, Dr. Fauci, easy for him to say. It. He's nice and trim. He blah, blah, blah. He's an elitist. And they're looking down on you, the regular Americans who are fat. So I feel like that's a big part of why they don't push that further. But then when you have something like just very basic, like these chemicals, that are now in everything from synthetic fabrics to furniture to food. Why can't we get rid of this shit to where we're not endangering our children or our children's children and future generations? I've said in previous podcasts, forever chemicals are changing our DNA so badly that we might need CRISPR, the DNA sequencing tool that can make kids healthier or taller eventually, can eliminate certain diseases from the genetic code. They may be corroding our DNA strands so badly that we might have to resort to CRISPR just so kids can be born normally, just so they're not born with pulmonary asthma attacks and tumors on their spinal cord. I mean, all this crazy shit that really shouldn't even be the case, but is only the case because we've polluted the earth so badly. And is that what we're going to have to resort to? Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. I really appreciate your time. Next episode, I'm going to be looking at the year ahead of 2022 and Joe Biden's second year and, you know, talking a little bit more about straight politics. I think it's going to be a good one. So I appreciate your support. Keep listening, and we're going to finish these last 11 episodes strong.